Well, hey, kids, if you are in elementary and you are typically here at Axis, you can go and uh, hang out in class now. If this is your first time here, we're not going to kick you out, okay? You can hang tight, but if you are an Axis kid, elementary student, uh, they're having that meeting over there now, so you can head that way. As these guys are heading out, um, how many of you guys watch the show Fixer Upper? Where are my Fixer Upper fans in the house? Can I get a whoop because I can't see any of you? All right, so, all right, cool. I am a Fixer Upper fan. Uh, my wife got me hooked on this show, and now we're, like, just sitting down doing these Fixer Upper marathons and watching the show. So um, Chip and Joanna, they totally like could just like come to my house, right? Like make it happen. All right. So here's my question for you as we get started. As kids are heading out the door, um, if if you your dream house, all right. So if Chip and Joanna were going to be coming to your house, your house is going to be the Fixer Upper, and you don't even have to have a house to play. Okay. You can imagine this is the house that I would want. I'm going to foot the bill, okay? I'm going to do that for you guys, all right? I'm going to pay for it. Um, you guys just have to dream up whatever you can dream up house-wise, all right? Talk to a couple people around you. Here's something that would be in my dream home that I'd be saying, Chip and Joanna, make sure that I have this, all right? So go ahead and uh, talk to somebody around you. You guys sound like you've thought about this before, all right? Well, hey, my house, how many people would have a swimming pool at their house? Anybody? All right, lots of pools. Um, anybody have their own stocked, like, fishing lake? Anybody out there, like we heard? Okay, you got stocked fish. I would have to have a stocked fishing lake or it'd have to be on a lake, all right? Again, dream home, going wild here, going crazy. Anything, what else? What are some other things out there that you guys are like, got to have it at my house? A roller coaster, all right. I just went out of money, all right? I'm out. What else? What else? Crazy ideas. Sky zone. That's my guy right there. I like that idea. I want some sky zone. I want a whole trampoline park at my house. I thought that I would love to have an AstroTurf field, right? That would be awesome. I could just run around and play games, pick up games, have all my friends over. I could get wild and crazy dreaming about what my dream house uh, would look like. But the truth is, I'm sorry, guys, I can't, I can't foot the bill. All right? I don't have the money. Um, but let me ask this question next. Now, when we talk about our dream house, let's talk about now if we're looking at the fixer upper life. What's your dream life look like? Now, I don't want you to talk, you not to tell the person next to you. Well, I, you know, um, this is just for you to think about. What would that dream life look like for you? What would, what would that person be like? And, and maybe a better question to ask, and really the question that I really want to push toward is this question, and that's what kind of life would God dream up for you? What kind of life does God desire for you? What kind of life does God want for you to have? And here's the question, here's the challenging question as we get real with one another, as we get real with ourselves, is how far from that life are you? Is that the life that you have? The life that God desires for you? Is that the life that you're actually living right here, right now? And I'll go first. I'll, I'll admit I'm a fixer-upper. I've got a long way to go. And the truth is there's a lot of decisions that just aren't the right decisions still in my life. There's a lot of things that I'm still not proud of than habits and things that I continue to do that God's still redeeming, that I'm still a work in progress, and I'm still a fixer-upper. And I think that most of us in this room could come to the realization to say, you know what, me too. I'm a fixer-upper. 
And as I ask you the question, what does that dream life look like? Or what does that life look like that God desires from you? You know what it looks like. You know what it should be. But you just, you don't feel like you could, it ever could be, right? Like I could never get that kind of a life. Because you've tried and tried and you say, you know what? The, I know what I need life to look like. And for some of you, it's, you know what? I just... I know that God wants me to have this joy, and I read about it in the scripture, but the truth is, I'm just, it's just negativity that flows from me all the time. And I'm constantly discouraged, and for some of you, it's like, you know, I know that God wants me to have confidence and faith in him and put my trust in him, um, but I just I have a lot of self-doubt. And I wrestle with that day in and day out, and I, I can't fully be the, the person that God wants me to be because I'm constantly wrestling with that, dealing with that. For some of you, you just lack trust, and you're not able to fully put your faith in God. And as he calls you out, you're just like, you know what, no, I just I can't quite step out in faith. And if I had that dream life, if I had that life that I think God desires for me, I'd be willing to jump out in faith, but I'm not willing to do that. For some of you, if you were honest, you're like, you know what, I, it, it's simple for me. I, I know exactly what it is. It's that I'm just too easily angered. You know, the kids are doing something, and then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm flying off the handle, and I'm out of character, and I'm like, where does this come from? But the life that God desires for me, I know that that's not it, but I want it. So what does it look like for you? We're all fixer-uppers. And if we dug deep enough, we'd find those things, right, that we're not quite there yet on. And here's the good news, and I just want to lead in with the good news this morning, and that's this, that we're in good company as fixer-uppers, because this book, the Bible, It's full of fixer-upper stories. It's full of fixer-uppers like you and me. It's full of regular, everyday people that want what God has for them, but can't always quite get a hold of it. And so today we're going to look at the story of a guy named Zacchaeus. And if you could say, and Chip and Joanna's little line is that we get the, the, the worst house on the block and we turn it into your dream home, here's the worst house on the block. It's Zacchaeus. And he's a tax collector. And a couple uh, weeks ago, Stephen talked about tax collectors and just how hated they were in society, how unwanted they were, because they basically were the kind of people that today would rob your grandma of her savings so that they could fill their own pockets um, and just continue to build wealth. And so they would rob you so that they could be wealthy. And so bottom line is Zacchaeus didn't have a lot of friends. Zacchaeus wasn't a guy you're like, hey, let's have Zacchaeus over for dinner. Like, you're like, nobody's thinking that. Nobody wants Zacchaeus at their house because you're like looking around after he left. Like, did he take anything? You know, yeah, he actually, he emptied my wallet. That's, that's what happened while he was here. And you just, he was not a guy that was desired in society to say the least. He wasn't just a fixer-upper. He was the worst house on the block. And I love the heart of Jesus, and I love as we've been throughout Luke, really just capturing and wrapping our hearts around the gospel, what we've seen about Jesus and who he was, and, and how he broke into every, lives of everyday people. And, and people that's lives were absolute mess, he had this way of connecting with and spending time with. And he made time for absolutely everyone, especially fixer-uppers. As we get started today, I've seen, I saw this video a couple weeks um, ago, and uh, by now it's just got like over 25,000 million something or other views on YouTube. It is, it is the best video I've seen all year because it's just real life, and uh, maybe you can relate to this. Take a look.
Oh, man. Bless his heart for continuing. I, segment over. <laughs> you know, I, I, this is so funny, and some of you guys can relate to that. And it's just real life, right? Like, it's like he's probably rethinking working from home. And uh, you have no idea that some of these correspondents are actually, like, in their living room. They got the big map up there. And then, you know, here comes the kid breaking in. And he, I love the swagger, right? Like, just kind of walking in, like, just going to see Daddy. What's up? You know? And uh, then the, my favorite part is the little kid after that just kind of, like, starts scooting in with the walker. Like, blah, 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 blah. like, they're just waiting right behind. Like, they're just all breaking into the room to see Daddy. And they're so excited. And Dad's just kind of like, okay, you know? And mom diving. It's the whole thing. It's just this beautiful mess, and I love it, and it makes me feel like a better parent. So (laughs) so this is my house. I couldn't work from home. I really couldn't. So I love that picture of um, just a dad, and he, he was interviewed after, and he's like, you know, I forgot to lock the door. Like, he owns up to the fact that I forgot to lock the door. I forgot to shut the door. That's my bad. I shouldn't have done that. And I don't know if you've heard about this Jesus guy, but he's kind of a big deal. And in, in, all throughout um, the text, and, and as we're going to read today, we see that there's these crowds gathering around Jesus. But here's what you learn of Jesus. His door is always open. He never locks the door. He's always, as he, he's always making time and room for everyday real people, for fixer-uppers like you and me. And here's what we read as we're going to jump into Luke 19 today. Here's how it starts. And there's this little phrase that's really important, and it's actually very revealing about the heart of God. And it says this. It says that Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. So you're like, okay. So he was passing through, like he entered Jericho and he was passing through. Here's why it's important. Crowds are just gathered around him, right? And if there's anybody that's really important and has a lot to do and a lot of people to heal and a lot of places to go, and Jesus is just passing through, you know, in his ministry, and here's this just epic moment, one of these great stories in Scripture where Jesus stops now and takes time for an everyday, ordinary person. And that's the heart of the gospel. And Zacchaeus, you know, again, his life was a wreck. He's not somebody that a lot of people were spending time with. He was undesirable. He was unwanted. He was unwelcomed in every sense. And here Jesus is. It says he entered Jericho and he was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. And so he's heard these rumors of Jesus, but here's another thing, you know, kind of they, they mentioned that you know, Zacchaeus is little. So he can't even see Jesus, okay? So he runs out, climbs a tree, and gets up to this place just to get his eyes on Jesus. He's like, if I could just get my, I just want to see what this Jesus is all about. And I love this because here Zacchaeus is, and even though his life's a wreck, and maybe he doesn't even fully realize it yet, we don't really know. Maybe he's just fine and satisfied, um, you know, in all of his money and all of his wealth. But what I'm guessing is that he wasn't, and here's why. Because he, he's desiring just to get his eyes on Jesus. Maybe there really is something different about this Jesus guy. Maybe, maybe there is something that, that, that I could have. Maybe I really am missing something. And so he climbs up into this tree just to get his eyes on Jesus. And what happens next, I'm sure Zacchaeus wasn't expecting. Because here he is. He's, he's up in this tree. He's just looking down on, on Jesus as he comes along the road. And when Jesus came to the place, it says that he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house. I mean, imagine like just a shocking moment, right? Like nobody's calling Zacchaeus' name. Nobody's looking for Zacchaeus. And here Jesus is, of all people, the most popular guy in the room for sure, walking along the road, crowds following. And Jesus stops. He looks up into this tree, and he calls out Zacchaeus' name. 
Zacchaeus. You can just imagine this moment and this sense of, wow, connection to Jesus as he calls out his name. And then he does the unthinkable. Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. What? You're going to go to Zacchaeus' house? And this is what everybody began to say, right? When they saw it, they all grumbled. They said he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Doesn't he know who this man is? We're not inviting him over to dinner. Why would Jesus invite him over to dinner? And here Jesus is. And what Jesus is doing in this statement and in this gesture is he's saying, I want a relationship with you, Zacchaeus. Because you don't just invite anybody over to your house or, or, or go to anybody's house. And so here he is. He's saying, I want a relationship with you. He's saying, I'll take you even though I know nobody else wants you. I accept you even though everyone else around you has rejected you. And so he says, I'm coming to your house today. And of course, Zacchaeus, just so blown away by this whole thing, says he he welcomes him at once, received him joyfully. And just what an incredible moment. What an incredible picture of God and how he, Jesus, wants the unwanted. He desires the undesirable. You ever felt like that? Ever felt unwanted, undesirable? The good news of the scripture and the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that God desires us when we're least desirable. This past summer, we, uh, we went to a place called Fripp Island. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but a uh, cool little vacation spot. And every year we do these family vacations, and we all get together, all of Jess's family, uh, from all over. And um, it's awesome because Grandma foots the bill, and we just, like, get to go to these sweet places. And we're like, we're in. Tell us where it is. We'll be there. And so we drive down. And she's always, like, picking out these really nice places. And so we get down there. We're getting the, we get the pictures out ahead of time. We're looking on the way down. Like, this place is awesome. Like, we're right Right on the beach, we get to just sit out with coffee and watch the, the waves roll in. We've got kayaks and all these things in the picture and the description. There's kayaks in this place that we can use. You know, it's just such a cool um, spot. And the house looked beautiful and all the pictures were great. And we're like, this is going to be so exciting. And so we get down there and we're, we're kind of opening, you know, you know the, the, the fun part of opening up the house and just like breaking in. And like, where's my bedroom going to be? And everybody's excited about the vacation house. Um, so we get in there and the first thing we notice is like there was just kind of some like cosmetic stuff like on the outside. Like we're like, hmm, that's kind of weird. Oh, well, you know, so we open the door, we go in. And then there was sort of like this overwhelming stench that hit us as we came through the door. Like, hmm, that smells kind of like a gym locker room, you know, so it smells um, you know, my, my son always goes, this smells like feet in here. And that's, uh, it smelled like feet. It's like a little weird. And then there's kind of like this like mildewy sort of smell. And then as you looked around, you're like, you know, I think that might be coming from like all of these moldy mildewy patches that are like all over the ceiling here. Huh, that's weird. And uh, we're like, you know, grandma's footing the bill. We're going to, you know, no big deal. We're going to make the most of this. And we continue to look around though. And it's like, nobody fixes anything at this place. They just kind of like wrap some duct tape on it. Or like, you know, there's like chairs broken. There's broken things kind of all over. And we're starting to find more and more stuff now. Like whatever, you know, we'll make the most of it. It's vacation. We're all together. And uh, so we're like, whatever, we'll roll with it. Then Jess and I get the last bedroom. I don't know how this worked out, but the last bedroom was down in the basement. And it's really just, you know how these vacation places are where it's like, you know, it's all up on stilts. And then there's like this little like garage that was like put some plywood around it. And then like they, they made a, a basement, you know, uh, another little spot down there. So we're down there and we're like, it really smells down here. Like as I'm breathing, I'm like, I think that like 
my lungs feel like they're dissolving. Like, I'm like, you know, like, this is some really weird air. And, like, is it healthy? Is it, like, and Aiden's down there with us. We're like, is this good for us to be down there? And I actually, like, I remember sleeping really well. And I don't think that's a good thing either. This is, like, so dark. And I was just like, boom, like, I'm out. And uh, then we were looking around more, and we start to kind of pull the cabinets out and stuff. And we're like, the housekeeper just kicks the trash behind the cabinets. Like, that, they don't clean around here. Like, everything's just stuffed back there. And we're like, are you serious? And we're like, we're dealing with all of it. We're like, this is going to be fine. It's vacation. It's beautiful. It's going to be fine. Until we get a call when we're out at dinner, and it's my brother-in-law, and he goes, he says the thing that you never want to hear on vacation, two words, bed bugs. And he had found bites down along his body, and he had actually get, been getting chewed on in the night by bed bugs. And I'm like, burn the place down. Like, get all my stuff, throw it in a big bonfire. Like, that's cool. I'm not going back there. Like, I didn't even want to, I, like, wanted to get one of those, like, Tyvek suits and, like, you know, bed bugs. Like, that's not, that's one thing I am not doing. And so, um, anyway, we had to go. We, we didn't throw all our stuff away. We washed it all. We, you know, we tried to clean everything. We put things in trash bags to, like, burn out all. Because the last thing you want to do is bring those buddies home. Like, you don't want to do that. And people have done that unknowingly. And so I'm like, I'd rather just, like, rebuy like, all my clothes if that's going to be the case. You know, so anyway, we get moved to this new place. And finally, like, it works out. And we make the most of the vacation. But I tell you that whole story to say, how many of you know that if we had known about any of that stuff, we weren't booking that place, right? I mean, and as I'm telling you about it, how many of you go online today, like, oh, that sounds not so bad. I'm going to probably go book that place. Like, that sounds like a pretty good place to book. Like, you're not doing that, right? There's no way you're doing that. Never would have picked that had we known. And some of you think today, as you sit out there, and even as I talk about the gospel, and maybe you've heard the gospel or the good news of Jesus, and you've heard these sentiments before, like, God wants the unwanted, he desires the undesirable. Maybe you've heard these things before, but you're sitting there thinking, there's this little thought in the back of your mind, it's not if God really knew. Not if God really knew my stuff. Not if God really knew what I'm hiding behind the dresser. Not if God really knew what was going on in my heart, in my mind, in my life. If God really knew the extent of who I was, there's no way he's picking me. There's no way he's accepting me. And that's what you think. But it's absolutely true. And here Zacchaeus is, the worst of the worst. And God makes this statement to say, I want you. I want to accept you. I want to receive you into a relationship with me. I want that for you. And so regardless of who you are or what you've done or what kinds of dark things you're hiding right now or dealing with or wrestling with, no matter what is going on that has happened to you, that has broken you, here's the thing. God desires you. He wants you. He accepts you. He receives you. Romans 5.8 tells us this. This is the heart of the gospel in one statement. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were the most, the least valuable house on the block, while we were the fixer-upper of all fixer-uppers, while our life was still a mess, while things were still broken, while everything was still chaotic, when we absolutely looked him in the face and said, I don't want any part of you, God. And some of us have been there, or I don't believe in you, or I, whatever. As we pushed him away, it was at that moment, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He reached out this hand and said, I'm coming to your house. I want this relationship with you. And how do you respond to that? I mean, doesn't that kind of love just motivate you? And there is no more powerful motivation than love, is there? 
Some of you, you've been in love. You know the feeling of love and the things that you'll do for love. Whatever that relationship uh, was, um, you know, whether it's a romantic relationship or whatever. But love has a powerful motivation, isn't it? Um, how many of you guys have heard of these promposals? Have you ever heard of the promposals like now or high school students? Like for prom, they basically like do a promposal, which is like an engagement like for like prom. And they go to these like epic proportions to like, you know, and all these elaborate schemes to basically say what I did was just like, you got a problem with me? Okay, cool. I'll pick you up later. Awesome. You know, I'll pay. That's it. That's, that's pretty much it. And that's just sort of, but there's like all of these crazy things that like, you know, I feel bad at like now my, my engagement because I'm like, wow, these kids are like showing me up with their like proposals. Um, but I read about this one this past week where there's this kid in Finley, Ohio. And uh, coolest proposal I've ever seen. And just to, um, to demonstrate his love for his girlfriend and motivated by the love for his girlfriend, he goes out and he runs 5.5 miles, okay, um, and spells out prom. Like, how genius is this? Like, single guys out there, take some notes, all right? This is some good stuff. You're welcome. Take some notes. So I love it. He's out there running. Here's the other thing that I love, especially as a trainer. He did a seven-minute mile pace for 5.5 miles. I was, like, looking at that. I was, like, that's really fast. Like, that is really fast. And he did this all so that he could make this demonstration to her to say, hey, I want you to go to prom with me. I care about you. And just how insane is that? And here's the question that I want to pose to you. How far and how fast are you willing to run for God? A God who has already loved you just as you are. A God who has accepted you, who has welcomed you, who has wanted you when nobody else wanted you. How far and how fast would you run from, for God? Because that should be our motivation, shouldn't it? shouldn't be this motivation of fear or obligation or I need to do this checklist so that God will be happy with me. No, because God loved us just as we are, we now get to live with the freedom of honoring him and glorifying him in everything that we do. And that's what Zacchaeus does because here's Zacchaeus' response. So Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, which you got to love. If Jesus does it, it's totally cool. And he's like coming over and when... Um, in, Everybody's grumbling, and Zacchaeus stood, and here's what he said to the Lord. He said, Behold, Lord, I give half of, my, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. In other words, Jesus, I'm not just going to do the minimum for you. I'm going to do fourfold. Why? Because you love me just as, I mean, that's all that's happened here is Jesus has received him, and he's like, wow, heart change heart change, and here's what I need to do. Here's how I'm going to respond to you. And Zacchaeus also responds in love and begins to give Jesus his best. He says, I'm giving back half of my goods. I'm giving it to the poor right now. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, which was a lot of people, I will restore it fourfold. And so how far, how fast are you willing to run for Jesus and all that he's done for you? As you remember where he found you and where he has brought you to, how will you live in response to that? Because renovation, it starts in the heart. It starts when God gets a hold of our heart and Jesus gets a hold of our heart and that truth that God really wants us and desires us and came to us first and died on our behalf, when that penetrates and invades our heart, it has a way of taking over if you will let it. So allow renovation to start in your heart. And then as in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, here's what you'll find. You'll find that Christ's love will compel you because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. We get to now live in response to God's love.
Jesus wants the unwanted. Jesus also fixes the unfixable. So if you're like, nah, my life's too much of a mess. There's no way God could or God would. Yes, he would. Jesus fixes the unfixable. And as we read on here, it says this. Jesus said to him after he responds in love, he says, he says to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since this also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost, the fixer-uppers, the broken down, the beat up. Jesus came to seek and save those. But I love this phrase here, and I just picked up on it this week. And it just hit me with fresh eyes. And I was talking uh, to Jonathan in the booth a little bit ago, and we were talking about how this story is so cool, and our kids love this story. I've always loved this story, but I can still read this story again, and it still is just so many new things to capture. And I love this. Don't miss this. Today, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. Salvation has not come through Zacchaeus. This is not something Zacchaeus has done. This is something that Jesus has done. And that makes a difference because some of you have been trying to roll up your sleeves for so long. You're like, if I could just work a little bit harder at it, if I could just try to be better, if I could just do this, if I could just do that, then I could renovate my life. I could finally get a handle on things. But here's the truth that you need to get in your mind and in your heart. Salvation comes to us, not through us. Salvation comes to us, not through us. You know, my favorite part of all these fixer-upper shows like fixer-upper and like all the rehab shows is the big reveal at the end. Like every show has that big reveal, like the project's over and there's this big awesome moment where they're like, we're going to show you. And so on fixer-upper, the way it works is they have this big picture of like the, the house as it was and the family stands behind it and they haven't been doing anything. They're just like on vacation or hanging out and it, they're getting their house fixed for them. And so they get to come and show up. We get to see everything that's happened, but now we're kind of like, we can feel the anticipation of this couple or uh, this person as they're like waiting to see um, their new fixer-upper and then they ask the question are you ready to see your fixer-upper and you're like yeah you know you're right with them you're ready to see it too and then they're like commercial break and you're like you know come on like so then the commercials come through and they show the exact same clip again like okay we've been over this are you ready yes they're ready to see their fixer-upper and so are you ready to see your fixer-upper and then the 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 doors open and what they, they show you is First, the faces of the people as they see this fixer up. They're like, that, that's our house. Like, I remember what that looked like, and that's not the same house. And then they freak out, and they go inside, and they go through all the rooms, and they show you this is what the room looked like, and this is what the room looks like now. And the people can't believe it, and they're so amazed, and they're hugging Chip and Joanna, and they're like, you guys are awesome. You know, they're giving them all the credit and saying, this, look at what you guys did. You really did uh, make our dream home here. And it's just this really, really cool moment to say, look at what was, and now look at what is now. And think about Zacchaeus. Think about how far Zacchaeus has come. Think about what Zacchaeus once was, and now what Zacchaeus is starting to become, and what Jesus is beginning to do in this fixer-upper named Zacchaeus. And we see the before, and I just wonder about the after. I wonder those conversations that Zacchaeus had with people, or as people were walking on the road and they knew him, he had a reputation, they're probably like, hey, remember that guy, that's the guy that, you know, but not anymore. 
that guy's different now. You won't believe it. And as they're talking to him, aren't you the guy that like totally robbed me of my inheritance? And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Here's fourfold the amount. Like, let me pay you that back. And listen, God has done a great work. Jesus has done something incredible. And he gives credit where credit is due because it's nothing that he has done. It's everything that God has done. And he's saying, I know what it was before, but I'm not that same person anymore. Here is what I am now. And some of you know those stories. I've talked to you. I've seen God transform your story. And you have this incredible story of, hey, if you knew me before, you wouldn't even be my friend. You wouldn't even talk to me. But look at what God has done in me. God has absolutely transformed and changed my life. And so when people look at you and like, are you the same guy that I knew in high school? The question should be, no, I'm not. I'm not the same guy. God has changed everything in me. And he's, I'm not there yet, but he's continuing to do this great work in me. Paul one time talks about, he makes this statement to say, listen, guys, I was the worst of sinners. But look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. And all of us should make that same statement with our lives so that we can give credit where credit is due. All credit and all glory belongs to God for what he has done. There's this Japanese um, art of kintsugi where they have these broken vessels and what they do is and i'll have a picture of it here in just a second um you can imagine you've got this nice piece of china and your kid just grabs it like smashes it on the floor that would happen at my house for sure um and then you're like oh man this is totally ruined right like let's throw it in trash but the art of kintsugi is that you take these broken vessels and you and the artist restores them they and not only do they restore them but they, they accentuate the broken pieces because it adds character and it shows that, hey, this was a broken vessel, but look at what the artist has done through this vessel. And that's what God does with us. Leonard Cohen one time, and he's the guy that wrote that hallelujah song all about David and, and David's uh, fall from grace and, and, and his failure and the things that he went through. And Leonard Cohen writes these words. He says, we all have cracks. That's how the light gets through. We all have cracks. That's how the light gets through. And our job is this, let the light shine through. Let your life be this testament of, look at what God has done. I know I've got some scars. I know I'm a little beat up. I know I'm a little banged up. I know I've made some mistakes along the road. But all that goes to just further declare all that God is and all that God has done in my life. Ephesians 2.10, I want to give you this truth. And I want you this to soak in as we begin to wrap up here in Ephesians 2.10. It says this, and this truth is for you. I want you to think about it on a personal level. For we are God's masterpiece. For you. You are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, God did have a dream for your life. God still has a dream for your life. You can still grab a hold of that dream. You're God's masterpiece. And Jesus wants you, he welcomes you, and he has the power to fix you and continue to bring out the best in you if you will let him. And here's what I want to, I'm just going to give you a few challenges as we wrap up here. How do I step into that kind of life? How do I begin the process of renovation? Or how do I come alongside God so that he can do this great work of renovation in me? And so I brought my tools with me. Yes, I use these on occasion. Step number one. 
Here's the first thing. This is what some of us, some of us don't even need to get beyond this step today. Uh, the first step is, I was trying to shine this in anyone's eyes. The first step is inspection. This is where you survey the scene. You're like, okay, let me look, and let me shine this into sort of the dark corners of the house. Let me, let me try to find anything that is off or that is wrong or, or anything that, um, that's not what God would want for me. So we begin with this step. We say, God, I invite you to begin to inspect my heart, inspect my life. Show me the things that you want to change in me. David says it this way. He says, search me, O oh God. See if there's any offensive way in me. He invites God to do that work, and some of us would be smart to just pray that prayer. Take some time this week and say, God, I want to know what it is. And it's easy to get a challenge like this and to say, yeah, I'll do that, and then never get around to it. But if you want to continue to step into the life that God has for you, this is not just a one-time thing. This is an over and over again thing. This is, I need to continue to pray that prayer. Search me, oh God. Show me the things that need fixing so that you can do the work of redemption in me. The second step is, and this is a lot of our favorite part, except when it's happening to us. You know, all of us love demo day, right? Like, I'm the best at demo day. I'm the best at ripping stuff up and tearing stuff down. But when it's your life, it's not something you're, like, inviting, right? We're not all of us are quick to say, all right, God, just go ahead and wreck me because I know that on the other side of that, there's some great growth to happen. But it's a smart prayer. God, if you would wreck me, if you would just level my life to the ground, I know you would build it back way better than it is right now, way better than I could ever build it back on my own. And so, God, pry up the stuff in me that's just continuing to rot my life from the inside out. What does that look like? So for some of you, you're like, yep, that's where I'm at, demo day. I'm not ready to do rebuilding yet. God needs to do something. He needs to do some tearing down before he begins to build up. The last part of this process is allowing God to do the work of renovation. I was talking to a friend of mine before we got started today, and he was like, you know, I, there was just this moment that I had when, and he's sharing his story with me, and I know his story well, and I, I've got to walk with him through his story. And he comes in today, he's just so excited. He's got all this joy that's just overflowing. And I just love talking to him because he continues to talk about what God has done in his life. It's just an incredible story. But here's what he said. I had to just look, like completely, fully surrender to God. That's what it took. And for the longest time, I wasn't ready to do that, but I'm ready to do that. And God is doing something incredible. He's doing something new. He's blessing me in ways that I never could have imagined. And the reason, and I'm sad about it, because not all of us are willing to let God have full access to do the rebuilding. We'll say something like, hey, I'm going to give God just access to, like, this space over here. I'll have that space renovated. If you could work on that for me, God, let's just work on that project. And I'm going to hang on to some of these other areas of my life. Don't mess with the basement. Like, that's my man cave. Don't be messing with that, all right? There's things that I do in the man cave that stay in the man cave, and God, I don't want you to do anything with the man cave. So we do this thing with God where we push him out of certain areas or we overlook certain areas. But here's the thing that we'd be smart to do. If we really want to be God's masterpiece and discover the masterpiece that he is creating in us, we've got to give him full access. We've got to hand over the hammer and say, all right, God, it's your turn. Let, just, just whatever, God. I, I want you to have full access because God doesn't just want to do some cosmetic work. He doesn't want to just paint a few walls here and there in your life. He doesn't want to just dress up the outside. He wants to completely gut and overhaul and renovate your life if you would let him. And while it might be a process, it absolutely is worth it so that we can grab hold of the life that God has 
in store for us. Jess and I, we spent some time a couple weeks ago um, in Gatlinburg, and uh, it was her birthday, and we celebrated down there. And it was a lot of fun, a lot of just good times and good memories with family. Um, it was also really tough as I'm driving through town to see what had happened with the fires, right? And you've read about um, and seen the stories, and some of you have been down there to see it. And there's just buildings that got completely, like, burnt to the ground and houses. I mean, these are people's homes that got burnt to the ground, and then trees and all this beautiful nature that had been scorched and and it's just it's amazing to me just like you know just how quickly things can just like I mean in a matter of days like the amount of damage and the amount of things that could happen and as we were driving out of town um, on the last day we were coming through like kind of this this place where some of the fires had come through and what I noticed that was really neat is on the sides of these areas where they were scorched and the fire had come through, there was the greenest growth that had sprouted up from underneath. It was almost like neon green. It was vibrant. It was this picture of like new birth and regrowth that had come out of all of this devastation and all of this, um, this fire that had ravaged this town. And as you looked at it, you couldn't help but think it's, it's coming back. It's coming back, and it's going to come back greener. It's going to come back better, and it's not over. And I love that because even biologically, we see this trend of and this picture of the gospel of Jesus that says even in the charred places, especially in the charred places, there's new growth that needs to happen. We can all begin again. We can all begin again because, and as we're going to sing here in just a second, and the band's going to come up, um, there's this song that we're going to sing, and I just, it's a new song for you guys, but I hope that you can really hear the words of this song. Sometimes it's easy to sing a song and just be like, you know, just, oh, yeah, sing, clap, you know, but listen to the words of this song. One of the lines in it that really struck me last hour as I was listening to it was this line. It says, there's no space that his love can't reach. No space that his love can't reach. You don't have to receive it. You can keep it out. Love is your choice. But if you would allow it to, there's no space that his love can't reach. There's new growth that's about to happen and spring up in your life. If you would choose that, if you would grab hold of that, if you would give God the hammer to say, do some rebuilding in me, let the process of renovation begin. There's no space that his love can't reach. And we're going to jam out. We're going to celebrate that truth because it is the gospel. It is the truth of Jesus that says, what I can't do, he can do. God wants me even though I've been unwanted. God fixes me even though I'm unfixable. And that's the truth of the gospel, that there is no space that his love can't reach. And so I just pray that you would just sing those words out, that you would declare those words to God as we sing. I also want to give an invitation that, and I'm going to pray here in just a second as the band comes forward. But if, if you need prayer would love for you to pray. If something resonated with you today or something is just like kind of struck a nerve and you're like, help me walk through this, um, grab anybody on our team. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. And um, so that invitation is there. I'm going to hang out for a little while here in the back. And so come grab me if I can do that for you. Um, we'll love the opportunity to get to pray and just ask God to do something in your life, um, whatever that might be. And also, the invitation is always open to write on the back of that program, even anonymously, here's something I need prayer for, and we will pray for those things for you. You can drop it in that white bucket on the way out, and we would love the opportunity to pray, right? Let's go to God and ask him to begin this process of renovation as we grab hold of Jesus. Father, thank you so much. I just love the good news. 
never gets old. I love that you're a personal God. I love that you look at each one of us like you looked at Zacchaeus up in that tree and you say, I want to come to your house. I want a relationship with you. You call each of us by name. You welcome us. You want us. You desire us. Help us to cling to that truth and take value and find our value there. God, I pray that if there's something that's just been impossible for us, maybe it's a difficult season, maybe it's just something we can't handle, or maybe it's something we've willingly chosen or put over you. And it's just time that needs to end, God. So I just pray that for some of us, we could inspect our hearts and our lives, that you would shine a light into those places. I pray for others, God, that you would do some demolishing, that you would, this wouldn't be just another, oh, I'm going to fix this tomorrow, but this would be getting out of the way so that you could demolish and uproot and pry out some things in our life that are rotting us from the inside out, God. And for some of us, God, help continue to renovate, continue to rebuild, continue to show us what's only possible by the power of your name, Jesus. Help us to grab hold of what could be and make it what is because of who you are, God. I pray for more stories of transformation. I pray that you would continue to carry out that great work that you have begun in us. Help us just to hand over the hammer, God. We surrender to you. We give all to you. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.